Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today, we're going to talk about something that has a name that you probably aren't going to like. It's called spermidine. Yes, it comes from, or at least was discovered in, that which it sounds like. And if you've read my anti-aging book, Superhuman, um, I talked about my quest to obtain spermidine. No, it's not. (laughs) There's so many jokes we can make right now, and we're not going to make those. Um, But uh, it turns out it's been incredibly difficult to get. And when I wrote the book, you couldn't get it other than as a research chemical. Recently, it has become uh, available. uh, And it has all kinds of interesting effects on your health, on your longevity. And it's something I wanted to talk about, but I felt like I couldn't share it with you guys. The only way to get it was to illegally import a type of probiotic from Japan, which is what I did for Superhuman, um, we can do better than that. (laughs) So that's what this episode's about. Our guest is Dr. Betsy Yurth, and she's doing research with spermidine as a, uh, just as an extract, as a natural form you can get, and what it does for aging, for various health conditions. She's a physician who's run the Boulder Longevity Institute for more than 15 years and an orthopedic doctor. And she's a longtime member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. This is the, the people who kind of created anti-aging medicine. It's actually where I met my wife uh, many, many years ago. And she works with a company called Longevity Labs that has introduced spermidine for the first time into the U.S. market, which is really cool. And before I even formally welcome her to the show, you guys are going to want to know, you can go to spermidinelife.us slash Dave. You might want to write that down, spermidine, S-P-E-R-M-I-D-I-N-E, life.us slash Dave, and they'll save you a bunch of money on your first purchase. You have to use code Dave25. But I want you to know that because when you hear this episode, you'll know why I've been questing after spermidine for the past five years, uh, but I just couldn't get it, and now I can, and I'm doing this every day, and I have been ever since I got my first bottle. So I want you guys to know just up front, you can save some money. So Betsy, or Dr. Yurth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. I'm really actually really excited to be here. I've been a long time listener of your podcast and um, and follower of some of the things you've promoted. So I appreciate you having me on. It's rare to find a doctor who knows about spermidine. And <laughs> um all the jokes we could make here. You're like, <laughs> how did you first get into spermidine? It's like, I don't, I, I don't really know here. I, I'm not going to do that. But uh, I, I am a seventh grader at heart. And so I yeah, do my most, most men are. Okay, fair yeah. point. Now, <laughs> how did you discover spermidine or, you know, how did this become an area of focus for you? Because, you know, longevity medicine, there's so many places you could go. Why here? Yeah, it really is interesting. You know, I've been in A4M since it was a little t- tiny group. And, it's, you know, it, it transitioned me from disease-based medicine, as you know, into more of a functional approach to medicine. But I think what we've seen now is that over the past few years, even that is becoming a little bit of an outdated approach to be thinking about systems-oriented medicine may still be too simplistic. And what we're really finding is you've got to get back down to the cellular level. So uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. William Seeds, who's also an orthopedic doctor out of Ohio, but is a brilliant, brilliant mind, and particularly in the peptide space, he is a pathways guru and really learned everything. He knows everything about cells. I mean, I, I never thought I'd have to relearn the Krebs cycle and oxidative phosphorylation, but you really do have to <laughs> yeah. relearn all that to really practice medicine. And so he, he's been kind of touting this to, to a group of us who have been his, his kind of followers for a while. And he formed a group called Seed Scientific Research and Performance, or SSRP, and took a small elite group of physicians across the U.S. There's 25 of us who are masterminds who are now studying more cellular-focused medicine. So he always seems to be about two years ahead of the curve in everything he recommends. And a few years ago, started looking at what's called the polyamine flux pathway in cellular medicine. And at that point, looked at we were talking about spermidine, and this was, I think, two years ago now. And I, like you, was like, oh my gosh, this is the answer to a whole bunch of problems because it worked at a very, very base level in fixing the cell. And I couldn't find it. And unlike you, I didn't have the connections to to get it from Japan. And I, and I, like you, was like, wow, you can buy it as a research chemical. And it was funny when you got, I don't know if you experienced this, but you got online to even buy it as a research chemical because as you know, sometimes we do that. 
it was like, okay, make sure that you wear glasses and don't touch it with your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was like, well, that doesn't sound like something I want. So I actually was calling, you know, the company, Spermidine Life in Austria, and I was trying to get a hold of people and they wouldn't send it and couldn't get it. And then lo and behold, at one point when I'm contacting them, like, oh, guess what? We're actually coming to the U.S. And I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and they actually opened up in Denver, Colorado. So it was this fortuitous kind of meeting. And I was like, thank God we can finally get this. And because it really is one of these supplements that is almost too good to be true. And as we talk about, it, I think probably the hardest thing about promoting spermidine is really, quite frankly, that it really does do everything. And when you look at, you know, the snake oil of does everything, it sometimes seems like it can't be real. One of the things that's, that's interesting, you talk about cellular medicine, and I'm a systems guy. That's my background, computer science and all that. Um, but I ended up going so deep on the cell when I wrote Headstrong, which is a book about mitochondria and what right. they do in the cell. I'm like, but there's all these other cell organelles, and it turns out cell membranes are the thing that works. And when those work better, almost every biohack I've ever talked about changes mechanisms in single cells and then has a network effect after that. So you're kind of going foundationally. What does spermidine do in cells that makes it such a you know broad spectrum thing? So, I mean, you're exactly right. I just gave a talk. And so I'm of the belief that probably everything, every disease process probably is going to come back down to mitochondrial health, honestly. I just gave a, yeah, yeah we just did a, um, a teleconference that was a benefit for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society last week. And my lecture was all about mitochondrial health in, in when you look at cancer. And it's very interesting that, you know, we always think about cancer, okay, it's genetic, you know, you have these genetic mutations. Um, but actually, if you take a normal cell, and you add a diseased mitochondria to it, a cancer mitochondria, you create cancer. If you take a diseased or a nucleus or a cell that, you know, the cytoplasm of a cancer cell and you add a, a mitochondria that's normal, you'll get rid of the cancer. So we really know the mitochondria are a key player here. And really where, you know, spermidine works, it works on, on at that very base level in improving that oxidative phosphorylation pathway. So it's really working on, on, a, on a couple of places. Number one, on helping autophagy. And you speak a lot on this because we know one of the main ways to get rid of bad cells or have cells to repair themselves is fasting, right? Yeah. So right now we know there's really probably a few mechanisms to, to help cells to to get rid of all the bad cells or do to kill themselves off or recycle the, the bad parts. One is to reduce calories with fasting. Two is probably to, do, to reduce some proteins like methionine. So eating a lower protein diets periodically. And three are things like rapamycin. But rapamycin is, you know, rot and we use it a lot in, in functional medicine, right? But it's rot with some difficult issues. It, it reduces immune function. It's hard to take and have a lot of side effects. Yeah. So uh, if we go now, back now to- might be a bad time. Uh, just yeah. <laughs> just to break in for a sec there. Um, now might be a bad time to be doing cycling rapamycin in the middle of a pandemic uh, right. because I've noticed immune suppression from it as well. So right. for people who are listening saying, Rapa, what? There's been a few episodes like with David Sinclair where we talked about that. It's an anti-aging thing, but maybe one to hold off on for a few months. Uh, so right. aside from rapamycin though, you got into the cell and you said, what's going on here? And spermidine, what's it doing in the realm of fasting and all of that. So just like fasting, it's going to increase autophagy. It's going to help get rid of the bad parts, the bad mitochondria. It works on, on increasing what's called MAP1S, which is, which is you know, one of the, the pathways that we know helps get rid of destructive mitochondria. But when we look at our bodies, our bodies are really designed to heal, right? So when you look at damage to mitochondria, which is all oxidative stress, you eat poorly, or you are outside in a bad environment, or you're sick, or you take some kind of medication. What is that doing? Or you have cancer. What is that doing is it's changing the oxidative phosphorylation pathway. Remember, that's the pathway that's making ATP, that's producing energy, right? And if you now start forming too many free radicals, those free radicals start doing cellular damage. We can take antioxidants, but really, if you just pound the body with antioxidants, 
when you lose that oxidative stress, you're actually shutting down one of the mitochondria's abilities to heal itself. So where we see the spermidine work is at a very, very base level to correct that autophagy, to get rid of those bad mitochondria, so that now we don't have, we're not being overwhelmed by these reactive oxygen species. So we actually will start to recycle the bad parts of the cell and, and start with a new, a new set point. But it seems to do a whole lot more than that as well. Like, for instance, in the heart, it actually increases the number of mitochondria. Um, wow. It, yeah, so you actually see marked increase in mitochondria. It actually, in the what, immune what system... Well, I think that... It, I don't know the exact percentage that mitochondria were increased, okay. but it was substantial. When you look at the immune system, remember we have, we have sort of good and bad pieces to our immune system. So in the immune system, it increases the M2 macrophages, which are our anti-inflammatory parts of our immune system. So we know that it helps immune surveillance so that now if we start getting damage to cells that could lead to cancer, we've improved immune surveillance. We know that it actually decreases some of the inflammatory cytokines like tumor necrosis factor alpha. And that's, that's linked to things like osteoarthritis. So it's doing a whole host of things, probably because it's working at that very, very bottom level to restore those normal mitochondrial oxidative phosphorylation pathways to stop producing so many reactive oxygen species. You know, I'm a, I, and I don't know how many of your listeners are taking, you know, they're pounding antioxidants, right? Well, when you're doing that, remember that, that when you produce these reactive oxygen species, your mitochondria sends a message to the nucleus. And that nucleus responds by sending a message back to the mitochondria to basically start getting rid of these damaged proteins. If that doesn't happen, so if we don't upregulate mitochondrial peptides and we don't send these messages back for this, what, what's called an unfolded protein response, we don't do that then the cell becomes sicker and sicker and sicker. And those damaged mitochondria produce a lot of toxic substances that damage things around it. So if we go back to spermidine's base of correcting, recognizing, and getting rid of those bad mitochondria, we stop that whole process. So it's really working at a very bottom level and working in, in you know, ways we probably don't even have quite figured out. It's working on so many pathways to reduce reactive oxygen species, to, um, to reduce to improve the immune health, to reduce the inflammatory cytokines that we know are initiating okay. disease processes. If it's a fasting mimetic, can you take spermidine instead of fasting? You know, so that's a big question, right? We, we went through that with other, you know, things like resveratrol, which we thought were fasting mimetics too, and probably are to some degree. Does anything substitute for fasting directly? I don't know the answer to that. You know, I think there's a lot of people who would like to say yes, that, that we can take a pill instead of having to fast because fasting is hard. I think that when we look, there, maybe, the answer might be maybe. I think the problem is what is the dose that would, that would really have that same exact effect? We don't know that yet. We know there's a maintenance dose that's very healthy. We know that higher levels of polyamines are healthy. We use very high levels of, or very high doses of spermidine sometimes in our patients who have disease processes that we want to treat. How high? And, um, you know, the you know, question is how high can you go? I don't know if I'm going to answer that, but... <laughs> You know, I think the question is how high can you go in patients and still be safe? I think it de depends yeah. on the, some of the markers that you're following on people. So we're following a lot, of, a lot of markers. But when I do regenerative procedures on people, one of the things spermidine does is it actually increases stem cell activity. So if, I want, if yeah. I want to throw stem cells into a knee joint, I'm going to always follow that with using a relatively high dose of spermidine for a six-week course. So I think that there's a low ma a maintenance dose that's probably really good that you know, kind of one gram daily. And then there's probably higher doses that are going to have more beneficial processes for disease. And can we get to a dose that would have the exact same effect as if I fasted for 48 hours? I don't know that. Be nice. It's probably a good idea to take it during a fast. I think it would accentuate the fasting benefits, yes. It would, okay. Because mm -hmm. it would offer so more protection, I, more cellular protection. I have a new book called Fast This Way. Right. And by the way, guys, this is a plug. If you haven't pre-ordered Fast This Way, it's because you're a bad person and you don't like yourself. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, um, there's a whole section in it on fasting supplements. So what should you take during a fast to make it work better and not take? And I didn't put spermidine in there because you couldn't buy it when I wrote the book. And now that it's already at the at the, the printers but hasn't been sent out yet, I, I can't add this. Otherwise, this would be... Uh, on my list of things to take. Um, we've always eaten some spermidine though, right? 
so sperm money is in our diet. It's in uh, soy. It's in mushrooms. It's in those aged smelly cheeses like Roquefort. It's in soybeans, peas, you know, mushrooms. So yeah, it's in our diet. In fact, one of the theories is that one of the reasons the Mediterranean diet is so good for us is because it has a high polyamine content. So it is in our diet. And particularly in some of the Asian populations, they probably eat more of it than we do. And we do know that the higher amount of polyamines, like spermidine, that you eat, that there is, that they've looked at the at polyamine intake and longevity, and we know that there is a parallel line between the more polyamines that you eat, the longer, your, longer longevity you have, especially if you start at an early age. So this is something you'd probably want to start very early and kind of wow. continue on a regular basis. So you can get it from foods. Um, you know, it's mostly, again, in, in the cheeses, mushrooms, vegetables. And, and, and wheat germ, right? That's and the, wheat germ. the number yep. one and wheat source. Germ is one of the, and wheat germ is one of the best sources for us to get it, um, at least from extracting it. And there's only certain types of wheat germ that it comes in, you know, in very high amounts. You have a very specific type of wheat germ. And it has to be extracted in a very careful fashion, which is why I think it was so hard to get, is actually extracting large amounts of it out of wheat germ, you needed a very specific type of wheat germ. You needed, you know, a wheat germ that was GMO free. You needed to, and you needed to do an extraction process that actually didn't damage the spermidine as you were extracting it. So I think that was one of the difficult things because if you look back, you can find research on spermidine dating back a long time. I mean, there's articles oh, yeah. from 2003, right? So the, why did it take us so long to get here? In, uh, those are the articles that informed my work on, on the anti-aging book. I, I just wanted to highlight, right. there's all these things that we know that we can do that people aren't doing. But one of the concerns I had is the spermidine life uh, stuff that I'm taking. It does come from wheat germ because it's like the richest source they could find. And I know it's carefully sourced. Do you see patients who have gluten problems having any issues with it? Because it does come from a, a wheat-based substance. Is that is that a thing? So it's an interesting question. Be you know, if you read the bottle, it does say if you're celiac, not to use it. So, but I... I do use it in my patients. And the reason is because if you look, the polyamines actually are what we call tissue transglutamase 2 inhibitors. And we know that those TTG, those tissue transglutamase 2 inhibitors, will prevent conversion of, of the, the gliadine to de what's called deaminate gliadine. And the deaminate gliadine is what creates the immune response in your celiac patients. And actually, mm. an immune response not even just in celiac patients, but in your wheat, just your gluten-sensitive patients but also maybe those deaminated gliadins may actually have a link to some diseases like Parkinson's and things. And so because the polyamines, all of them, are, are TTG or tissue transglutamase 2 inhibitors, we may actually prevent converting it into the bad form that creates the antigenic response in your celiac patients. So I have a number of celiac patients who I have on, on spermidine, probably from the, you know, the, the products, if you read the back label, because it is a wheat germ product, they say don't use this if you're gluten sensitive. But from my experience as a physician, I will, you know, I will certainly cautiously use it. I, I have had a few people, uh, even who aren't gluten sensitive, who who had some stomach issues, and I, I don't know exactly why that is. But I have hmm. I have a, a, a number of celiac patients who have tolerated it very well, and actually, we do think the tissue transglutamase two inhibitors may actually be a way to help treat celiac patients. So, wow. so it, it may actually have some very good benefits, partly because it is so immune regulating and lowering those bad parts of the immune system and upregulating the good parts of the immune system. So it may actually be, be fine. I would use it with the guys who are working with a, you know, a physician who understands spermidine. There's not very many out there, but. Okay. As, a, as someone who's pretty sensitive to gluten, for me, it goes into gluteomorphin and I just do not feel good. I get massive cravings when I eat it. Um, I am taking four spermidine life capsules a day, two in the morning, two at night, and I don't have any of the gluten style issues from it. And I also know as a guy who has formulated many supplements uh, in my life, um, you put things on the label so you can either pass regulatory muster or so you don't get sued. Um, for instance, almost all supplements say, you know, don't give it to anyone under 18. And that's just there for insurance companies. Uh, even mm -hmm. though I kind of think kids need nutrients, that you know, <laughs> but that's why you always have to right. kind of do your own research if you're you know in your teens and deciding to supplement, and you can also do great harm with them. So I, I don't want to, you know, say that it doesn't matter because it does matter. But it's it's one of those things where um, if I was formulating this, I'd say, hey, if it comes from wheat, I'm putting it on there just in case there's one person who's really sensitive. 
Um, but uh, to to my knowledge, I haven't met anyone who's had a problem. And I've been talking about yeah. spermidine. Just yeah, you're right. And I like you. I take four a day. Um, I'm very gluten sensitive as well. And okay. I have no issues with it at all. And I have frank celiac patients who I have on it as well. But again, you're right. The, as yeah. we know, working with the government's not always easy. If you had a patient, you've just done a bunch of regenerative procedures on them, and you want them to heal faster, do they also take four a day or do you kick it up a little bit? I think four days is a really reasonable dose. You know, one of the things that happens is, is number one, expense. <laughs> it becomes expensive to use high doses, and you're yeah. already, a lot, some of these people doing very expensive procedures on them. Um, so typically what we'll do is four a day in those patients. I do have a few patients who we've gone to higher doses on who are very sick pe- people. You know, one of the problems- Like 10 in, a day? You know, or like 100 a day? Just no, not like, no not like 100 a day, but you, you know- you Or like could, 10 a day? It, I haven't gone up to 10 a day, no. But you could probably very easily oh, go to six gonna, a day. And I think I'm going to do ten tonight and see what happens. Yeah, I think when you look <laughs> at the safety, I mean, this is a natural. You know, polyamines yeah. are naturally in our diet. You, you know, it'd be like saying, "Can I eat you know too much, too many mushrooms?" I don't know. Can you? I guess it depends on the type of mushroom. But yeah. you know, it, it is really, you know, this is something that's so it, it's natural in our diet. We know that higher amounts are, are are better in general for people. We we've equated that. We've we've looked at that. We, there are now so many studies on spermidine, you know, looking at it, at least, you know, in animal models, it had, you, the, there, was, there didn't appear to be a ceiling dose on it that, that caused significant side effects. So I, I honestly think that, that it's, it, it's probably really, really safe. I do think the source is important. You know, one of the things about, about the spermidine life that's taken out of the wheat germ, you know, versus there, because there are other sp- spermidine sources, is that it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like cannabis, is that you, you, you kind of have a spectrum. It's not just the spermidine and, the, and that, that wheat germ extract also has a little putrescine and a little spermine. So it actually has kind of the whole spectrum, right? So it's, it's got the spectrum of polyamines in it. It's mostly spermidine. But when you have that whole spectrum, it probably is going to be safer than to pound your body with one thing only. And so I, so sort I, of whole foods. Exactly. Based. So it's a little bit more whole okay. food based approach, just like you know, if you look at just taking CBDs or just taking THC and not having a full spectrum hemp, there's probably differences in the way it's going to react in your body, right? So the same thing true is true with, with spermidine. And it's one of the reasons that we've really okay. appreciate the spermidine life product. Can, uh, can you talk about putrescine for a minute? I, I wrote about the biogenic amines in the Bulletproof diet uh, way back, you know, like 10 years ago. And generally it looks like too much putrescine is not good for you. That's called that because that's what rotting corpses smell like. And histamine right, is another biogenic amine. And like, that's a problem. You eat histamine. Oh, why am I getting hives? And why am I tired? And why do I have cravings after my food? It's like, well, those three-day-old leftovers uh, with fish and soy in them uh, probably were a trigger, right? So not all biogenic amines are good. Tell me about putrescine. Tell, tell me about the other biogenic amines. Yeah, so putrescine basically converts into spermidine and then spermidine into spermine. And so if, you know, if you overwhelm parts of that pathway, are you doing harm? And I think that's where just taking spermidine may actually have some issues too, that you may overwhelm pathways. You can very easily with, you know, putrescine, it can take a different route and it can become a very toxic element. So as opposed to the spermidine, it doesn't, it can't backtrack the same way. But putrescine, which, which you're right, it's when you, when you go even by, you know, plants that are rotting, right? You, that when you go by plants and you have that smell, like, I'm not a very good with plants. Smell, right? Yeah, really putrid smell, and that's really what it got its name. It's, it's actually from rotting meat. You know, so so we do get we do get you know if you if you eat bad meat, you'll get putrescine. So you can overwhelm that pathway, and then it will go into much more toxic metabolite, doing a whole lot of damage. And that's why you really wouldn't want to just eat putrescine, even though it is it will channel into spermidine, into spermine. You theoretically you say, okay, it's a it's a lower level in the pathway. The problem is that it can take a whole nother route when you've overwhelmed that pathway. And so I and and that's where I think spermidine becomes a much safer choice. Not to mention you probably don't want to eat something that smells like rotting meat. But but that's really the difference and why these these biogenic amines, when you you they're gonna have different if you have to go back back to that pathway, back to that cellular pathway and watch all the different pathways that can be taken. And putrescine can can very easily alter when you overwhelm that pathway and not go the way we want it to. A guy who I, I would call the the grandfather of the carnivore diet, um, whose name I could not pronounce, but it's like Andreas something or another, uh, was an advocate of an old practice from uh, something he got from the Inuit people. 
uh, where they would hang their meat until it spoiled and then they would eat it and they'd feed it to their sled dogs. So he was telling people before he passed away, you know, take your meat, put it in a jar on the counter, let it sit there for a couple of weeks and then eat it. No, I have not tried that. I've just, there are a few <laughs> things I won't try, but that just cannot be good. But I'm imagining he was getting all, all sorts of crazy levels of biogenic amines from doing that. Right. Right. Um, and some good, right. right? So maybe he saw some of the benefits, at least in some people. And again, that goes back down to what are your pathways doing? You know, if, if in a perfect world, the putrescine would go into spermine, would go into spermine, you have all these advantages. The problem is that not all of us are perfect. And number two, it depends on how much you're taking in. Yeah. And a lot of people on diet are like, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm detoxing because I have bumps all over my body and I yeah, feel right. high. And <laughs> right, I'm, like, right. I'm pretty sure you're just poison, lot, yeah. but hey, you know, that, that's just me. Uh, and you know, there are people, I was a raw omnivore for a while. I'd eat raw meat, but not raw spoiled meat. So there's that. Uh, and we know that gut bacteria can make spermidine as well. Do you, do you have any data on if you're not taking that weird probiotic from Japan that, that I wrote about, if you're not doing anything in particular, how much spermidine do we make on board just when we eat meat? What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. So we, so we definitely do. So if your gut microbiome is really healthy, and there was actually just a study that came out pretty recently, I'm thinking I read it maybe two months ago, that actually looked at uh, what happens to the gut microbiome in warmer, when, it's, when you're warm versus when you're cold. And so in a hotter climate, the gut microbiome actually made more spermidine. So the gut microbiome was error to the side of making more spermidine. And actually, we, we saw the same thing followed that along, the study was actually on osteoporosis, that they saw that people living in warmer climates had less osteoporosis than people living in colder climates, and they equated it back to a difference in the gut microbiome, and this gut microbiome making higher levels of spermidine, even in diets that had very little intake in spermidine. So it does wow. appear that you can make pretty good amounts if we have perfect gut microbiome. The, the problem is that most of us don't, right? And, you know, and, and, and two is that we, that it, it's a very specific, it appears to be a very specific concentration of, of some certain bacteria that, that will help make that spermidine. Wow. If you have higher levels of spermidine, it will improve the, the gut bacteria that make more spermidine. So actually it becomes sort of a cycle, which is why probably you might be able to say, hey, I can, I can, maybe not have to continuously use high-dose spermidine, but go on a high-dose for a while and then take lower doses and go on a high-dose for a while. I know you, like like me, I believe believe in cycling things a lot, right? Yeah. Not staying on the same diet. You know, I think, you know, the, the carnivore diet, it's not something you want to stay on all the time. You, then you're going to have high levels. You do it for a month, <laughs> you do it for six weeks. I'm a big believer in six to 12-week cycles of things, right? So lots of times what we can do, what we'll do is we'll put people on a higher dose of spermidine for a six to 12 week cycle, depending on, on what their health is like. And then we'll put them on a maintenance dose for a while and then maybe hit them again with a high dose. So theoretically, what you might be doing then is improving the gut microbiome to an extent where they're making their own higher levels for a while. You've kicked the body back into gear. And remember, the other thing is this whole autophagy piece is that when I've gotten rid of all of the bad stuff, when my, my body has now reset then I'm going to be in a state where I can now all that all those pathways get back in order. I'm not producing so many reactive oxygen species. I'm not overwhelming these pathways that my body helps deal with all these bad things. And so if you can cycle this for higher doses for a period of time and then go to lower maintenance doses, I think it's probably a really ideal thing. You go through a very, you know, just like we used rapamycin or quercetin or fisetin in terms of autophagy, go for a, go hard for a period of time 
and go to a very maintenance level. And probably one of the pieces there is just restoring gut microbiome, but also getting okay. rid of all the bad crap. I love it. Straight up, get rid of the bad crap. In fact, doing that first might be a right. really good piece of advice. Honestly, and that's that's a really important thing, right? Before you start doing anything that's upregulating, get rid of the bad stuff. So, you know, it's, as an orthopedic doctor, you know, there's all this this oh, does regenerative medicine work? Do stem cells work? And you know, if you're if you're a traditional orthopedist, lots of times you're like this stuff doesn't work. There's no proof of it. Well, if you're in a horrible state. And you're, you know, and you you basically have overwhelming reactive oxygen species in all your cells, including in your cartilage. Then I throw a bunch of your stem cells in there or platelet cells in there. What's going to happen? I mean, nothing. You're going to kill off those cells, and you'll be back to where you started. So we go through a right. really intricate part uh, when we're treating patients in a regenerative fashion of using things like spermidine at a high dose, going through a phase where we kill off all the bad stuff and then put in good stuff. Very interestingly, platelets have a whole bunch of spermidine in them too. So actually, one of the ways platelets probably is working is upregulating spermidine, which we know is important for, for cell differentiation. So then you put in the platelet cells or stem cells or whatever your passion is, and then follow that with a dose of spermidine again for a six-week course. And, and our outcomes are dramatically better by doing things like wow. that with people. I'm going to ask an inflammatory question here, and I'm going to preface it by saying, Anything that you do that makes your cells healthier is going to make you more resilient to everything. And the reason I'm prefacing it is now, do we have any data about spermidine and COVID-19? There was actually a study really pretty recently that came out on, on spermidine and COVID-19. And, oh, wow. you know, and I, I don't want to, you know, have this pulled off the air because, you know, but. It, um, <laughs> it we're not talking about treating, diagnosing or curing but, that. We're just talking about right. being stronger. All right. So what does this yes. study show? So, so. What it did was, again, improved the, remember what happens when there's a couple of things that happen when COVID goes awry. And one of the big things is we know there's this cytokine response and that bad cytokine response that these inflammatory cytokines start causing the cellular destruction. And that's why people go on to have cardiovascular damage and strokes and kidney damages, because now you've, you've damaged the, the lining of the blood vessels because of these cytokines that have appeared in response to the COVID. And we know that spermidine, again, we saw that in the, in the osteoarthritis mouse study, is it markedly reduced a lot of the inflammatory cytokines that we see elevated, like tumor necrosis factor alpha, alpha and interleukin-6. And IL-6, right. There you so, go. That's so the one. It, and it upregulated the M2 macrophages, which are your good anti-inflammatory macrophages that help get rid of bad things. The other thing it could be used for is, again, remember that you, to form a normal immune response, to have normal immune surveillance, is that you, you basically have to have this, this balance between the anti-inflammatory and pro-inflammatory side of our immune system. And so if, if somebody's so inclined to get vaccines, well, this is going to definitely enhance the vaccine efficacy as well, because you're going to be able to respond in a much more appropriate fashion to, to somebody introducing, putting a new antibody into you. Could it maybe lower risk as well? I know this is entirely hypothetical. It's, I think it's definitely going to lower risk you know, because, okay. you're, again, when, when you get your body into an immune healthy state, as we all know, it, it, that's why higher dose vitamin, anything, anything that gets our body into right. an immune healthy state is going to make us a lot less likely to get COVID and get sick. So if I have lower reactive oxygen species, it's why obesity is a risk factor. It's why you know, cardiovascular disease is a risk factor because those guys have very high levels of reactive oxygen species. Their bodies are in a very poor state to recover. So you get some little infection and you have a horrible outcome. So by downregulating the reactive oxygen species, upregulating the anti-inflammatory macrophages, the M2 side, reducing the inflammatory cytokines like IL-6 and TNF-alpha, you're in a perfect state to be able to fight this disease or not get it at all. I, you know, I, I, I'm not very afraid of getting COVID. I, I do all sorts of things to keep my immune system healthy. And, you know, I think that unfortunately we're focusing so much on, on, you know, isolating ourselves and, you know, and everything and, and not just getting healthy. But if you're not afraid, you're not a good person. Just yeah, you're that. right. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You have to look at your individual risk, not average risk and all that kind of stuff, but we don't have to get all political. Wait, I thought this was science. Never mind. We won't even go there. But uh, I appreciate you saying that you don't have a, a high degree of personal fear there because uh, that's a, a right. refreshing I, I, message. I'm being, I wear my Thank mask and I'm 
and I'm careful around the people, but I do think, you know, and, and you've pushed this, it all comes down to people have got to start taking some responsibility for their own health. And, you know, it's like I said, before spermidine ever makes it to, before your doctor ever recommends spermidine to you, it's going to be, I don't know, 10, 20 years, maybe, I don't, mm. maybe never. You know, no, it's, it's going to happen. I, I'm doing my job. <laughs> my job yeah. is to make the stuff no one knows about happen faster. <laughs> right. I mean, and, so. and, and that's and that's our goal too. I mean, Boulder Longevity Institute. That's we have a whole what we call Human Optimization Academy. Our goal is to teach the people because you've got, and that's why I love your you know people like you who are out there spreading this stuff. Because if you rely on somebody, a doctor, to tell it to you or the drug company to bring you something, you're you're going to be way behind in terms of treatment. So, so you need to learn these yeah. things. You need to understand these things. I have long considered spermidine as important as glutathione, but I couldn't get it. Do you think it's as important as glutathione? I, I think it's more important, quite frankly. Wow, okay. That's Again, you, you're going, look at the number of things this, this does, right? I mean, we, we went back to, again, and I think it's going to come back to it's really working right there on that whole, you know, inner membrane of the mitochondria on the oxidative phosphorylation pathway to, 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 to change your metabolic health. And I think, you know, your, your podcast you did with Jason Fung recently, you know, it's going to come down to metabolic health is a big key player in cancers and Alzheimer's and dementias. So if we can restore normal metabolic health, which is making the mitochondria healthy, and that's right where it works. So I think it's working a base layer lower than glutathione is. And it's, wow. it's probably going to be really, you know, if, if I, right now, if you were to ask me, is there one supplement, if I abandoned everything else, and that would be hard for me to do, but if I abandoned everything else, this is the one substance that we, we can absolutely say, hey, this is in our diet. It's, it's across every eukaryotic species, right? Every single species, every one cell organism, everybody has this. So we know it's critical to life. We absolutely know it's critical to life. Anything that's preserved for that many species, we know it's absolutely critical. So I think that that when you look at all those things it's doing and how important it is, and we have all these studies now that are showing that you know that it's affecting immune health, brain health, cardiovascular health, joint health. I think you know you can't really say that about glutathione. So that one substance that I would take if I had, could take only one thing, it would be spermidine. We know that spermidine is protective of the liver. Is this something that you should take if you're going to drink alcohol? I've always told people, yes, take glutathione, but should you stack glutathione and spermidine if you're going to have a night of partying? It's really, it's really actually very liver protective. And that's some of the, actually the bigger studies that have been done on spermidine is in the liver and it, it increases NRF too. So it's, it's very, very, very protective to liver and actually has reversed liver disease in people. We've used it in patients who have just alterations in liver function, sometimes unclear why, right? The liver is such a sensitive organ. Sometimes figuring out why the liver, you know, you start to see elevation in transaminases is a little difficult. You go through, you know, eliminating everything they're taking orally and people aren't drinking and still have some elevation in liver functions. And you can see really nice improvements in liver. So I think it's both protective, but also restorative to liver function. Seeing the same thing in kidneys as well. So I think it's, I think it'd be a really useful thing. Like I said, I would take it every day, but I would probably say yes. You're going to go out for you know a night of binge drinking. Don't advise it, but if you're going to do that, then then I would I would at least take a double dose of it and and, and give some liver protection. And again, okay. are, is it more important than glutathione? At least equally important in liver function. Wow. So I I have known it's an anti aging powerhouse, and you know about some of the studies I just haven't seen which this is fascinating to me because I didn't know that much about the liver and spermidine specifically. Talk to me about fat loss and weight loss in spermidine. What do the studies show? So, so uh, Brian Kennedy, who's out of the, in Singapore, their, their lab just did a bunch of work on spermidine and fat loss. And it's interesting because the, the way it really appears to work on fat loss is by actually increasing some of the, the, the transaminases that are converting fat. And it works specifically on visceral fat. So it's actually really, really important for, for visceral fat, which as you know, is the more dangerous fat and sometimes a very hard fat to get rid of. You look at these so kind fat of, around you the know, organs. Fat, yeah, it's fat around the organs. And you know, when you look at these, you know, the, the 50 year old guys who have the dad bods and the big old bellies and you know, that that's a really dangerous fat, but it's also really hard fat sometimes to get rid of. 
And so what they found was when they took mice and they gave them spermidine and put them on a high fat diet, that it totally protected them from, from, from gaining visceral fat. So it worked particularly, it worked in young mice, it worked in old mice, but it worked really particularly well on, on, on that visceral or, or bad fat, and particularly on white the, fat the and fat. not the brown fat. So dangerous that's fat. The fat you can't, uh, that's the fat you can't see around your organs. Um, yeah, but most you know, it, people who have- It hides. Yeah, it hides around your organs. But most people who have you know, that big belly, most of those people have visceral fat. That's why, why we can measure abdominal circumference and, and make an estimation mm-hmm. of visceral fat based on just abdominal circumference that, that those people have you know, higher levels. So yeah, so they found that it increased the lipolysis basically by upregulating these, um, these, these adipose triglyceride transaminases that are moving the fat out. So it was really protective, even okay. though it didn't directly uh, affect you know, the metabolic status to, to increase weight loss. It wasn't like it increased metabolism and so your weight was gone. So it really was very specific to working on some of these transaminases aminases that converted the white fat. So it was really interesting. Hmm. And his study was, it was, it was across the board. It was not age dependent. It was not sex dependent. Um, and it didn't seem, even though we know that spermidine also works on autophagy in fat cells, it didn't actually, it seemed even not related to that. And so there's this upregulation of, of all these different transaminases when we look at the fat lipolysis pathways. So it was really cool in that realm. You know, so again, wow. is there anything it doesn't do? There's also some interesting stuff around spermidine and hair. Can you tell me what's going on there? So that's that some of the, and it's actually one of the more, the le, you know, you can dispute almost any study. And, you know, and I've seen a lot of, a lot of studies disputed, but nobody can really dispute the hair growth study that it definitely had a marked effect on hair growth. And it's because of its stem cell activity, its epithelial stem cell activity. So you're increasing the, right, the, the basically the number of hair follicles. So you're actually not just, hair grew faster, it grew longer, and it increased density. So, and it was, you know, you know pretty, pretty marked really over, I think, a relatively short period of time, over a six-week period, they saw a significant increase in hair growth. So here's, again, another reason, you know, if nothing else, nobody wants to lose their hair. So that is, a, you know, a reason to take it every day. We also know that okay. the diets, places where diets are higher in, in the polyamines have thicker hair, better hair, don't lose their hair as much. So that's, you know, again, uh, just another benefit of this, this drug and, or this supplement, not even drug. Should I, should I be popping a cap open and putting it in my shampoo? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if topically, I mean, the hair, you know, that scalp is very good for absorption of things, right? Can you absorb it topically? I don't know that. I don't know if it's too big to, to get a good transdermal effect and what you could add it to. I think just taking it orally is really what you want to do because it's really increasing things from the inside out. It's really, it's increasing okay. that stem cell production. What were the doses required for hair? So normal dosage of spermidine life would be two capsules, which is one milligram dose. Okay, so two pills a day is what they two use in the study. Two pills a day, maintenance dose in the study, yeah. And that even, okay. you know, a lot of the studies, so, so one of the, the really nice things about spermidine life is if you look at all the studies, and there are so many studies coming up now. I mean, think there, you know, since 2020 alone right now, I, I can think of, you know, offhand about 10 different studies. You know, there's still three ongoing from 2019, long short-term studies following. There's a smart age study that's still continuing looking at brain health. So there are so many studies now on this supplement. You know, I would say, venture to say more than a lot of supplements that are out there. So people are really getting this on their radar. So we have a lot of data now upcoming, which is nice because we can really look at things now and say, okay, but most of the companies that are doing, or most of the researchers who are doing these studies are using this spermidine life product, which says a lot, right? That, that, that this is what they've chosen as their research supplement is this product itself. So that's encouraging and makes you feel a little bit better about it, that this is the one they're coming to. This is what they're going to. They're going to. The Smart Age study, which was started in 2017, um, so that was even early, right? That was before you and I could get it. Well, you could, I couldn't. So 2017 right. study, Smart Age study took, I, I think it's 100 people who had subjective cognitive impairment. So people who nobody said were cognitively declining, but the people themselves felt like they would. And they've been yeah. following them now I think the study com- just completed or is about to complete, I think November of 2020, it's just about to complete. So they've been following them for three years. 
And what they're seeing is significant improvements in every level of testing on just this one, you know, one, one gram, 1.2 gram daily of, you know, dose of spermidine. So, so in another study that just came out on brain health, it was published this, this month that actually measured volume. So brain volume and hippocampal volume and showed substantial improvement after just six weeks of spermidine wow. at that dose. That's nuts. Yeah. Because hippocampal shrinkage is a major problem as we age. And it's one of the markers I track on myself. I'm at the right. 87th percentile for my age. So I'm holding on to my hippocampus as I age. Uh, but I, at six weeks to increase hippocampal size is nuts. It's nuts. I did not know about that. Was that yeah, humans or mice? That was on human studies. That was using wow. brain imaging on human studies. So okay, and, you know, was, and they'll follow gonna... that along. They'll probably continue to get, wow. you know, get further improvement as time goes on. But again, the, you know, when, when they looked at curves of lifespan and the polyamina intake, if, you know, if you started early, you could just not lose years. You know, you and I who started later in life taking spermidine, you know, we've lost some time, but, we're, but you can see people regaining. So we're regaining years simply by taking this, this supplement. And there's wow. really not a lot of supplements out there that have shown that. And, you know, we, there, we, there's almost none. There's almost for none. For hippocampal right? volume? I, I've never seen one. Have you? No. Yeah, I think there's. Wow. That, I think that's there's like maybe the realm some, of hyperbaric and stuff if you're going to. There do that. are some peptides, I think, that maybe have shown yeah. some improvement. Uh, but they're, you know, they're more difficult to obtain. So this is something that's so easy and so safe. And, you know, I, again, we're, we're relatively new to it. We've only been using it, we've only been able to get it for, you know, I don't know, a few months. A few months. Yeah. There's one other aging aspect. Because we talked about the hippocampal volume, which blows me away. We talked about hair. Um, What about uh, vascular? Uh, Because there's so much going on. We did a recent episode where we talked about just the lining of the arteries and how you can protect that. Um, What is the role of spermidine in protecting or doing anything to our blood vessels and our circulatory system? So we a lot of the studies actually are in the cardiovascular system. And there's a study that's, just is still ongoing called the SMARTEST study that's actually looking at blood pressure. So actually hypertension treated with spermidine and the early results in that are looking pretty promising that it actually is really helpful there. But again, for, for lowering even, you know, LP little a, which is one of the vast, you know, the, the, the hard things to treat. So if you're genetically have high LP little a, then it's a tough Thing. We've used niacin, but niacin doesn't work all that well, and it's actually hard to take for a lot of people, maybe have some other downsides. So the spermidine actually lowered LP little a, and this is a group of patients I have a hard time with because getting LP little a down, we know that that is an inflammatory cardiovascular or increases inflammation in the blood vessels, so it's created to heart attacks and strokes. Again, we talked about the increasing mitochondria within the cardiovascular system, so it may be really helpful in early congestive heart failure patients because you're going to increase mitochondrial production and that's going to increase the energy production in the heart of each heart muscle cell. Um, wow. It also, it, again, again by just increasing oxidative phosphorylation, decreasing reactive oxygen species, that's going to all be cardiovascular health as well. It's all mitochondria. Remember, your heart muscle is one of the biggest producers of energy. It needs a lot. So by correcting those that ATP production in the cardiac cells, it's going to be really beneficial. Um, it increased CERT1, so that's going to also be helpful in, in terms of cardiovascular disease. And, and uh, you know, so I, I think it's kind of, again, hitting each one of those, those points. But the studies have shown reduction in lipid profile, reduction in LP little a, improvement in stroke volume on the heart. Looks like reduction in, in again, the study's not done yet completely, but in, at least in mice and the human study ongoing, reducing blood pressure. So it's it's hitting almost every aspect of cardiovascular disease. It's now my go-to. It's my, so my fir, sort of first line in my patients who have abnormal lipid profiles and, and or who have any kind of like high myeloperoxidase levels, high oxidative you know, LDLs. So those, those, those are both, remember, stress markers, the reactive oxygen species markers. So if we can reduce reactive oxygen species, we're reducing all those markers, you're improving cardiac function. So it's now my first go-to on my patients with cardiovascular abnormalities on their labs. Even if they have, you know, they have normal coronary calcium scores, everything's normal. If I start to see high elevation in myeloperoxidase or an elevation in the oxidized LDLs in them, my first go-to right now is, is I'll hit them with a 12-week course of spermidine. And, and we're seeing improvements. Wow. That is, this is sounding almost too good to be true, except right. I'm familiar with the research. It's, it's real. <laughs> 
I know. Isn't okay. that the hardest thing, though? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. The other big thing that happens when you age uh, is just tissue loss or sarcopenia. And, and you, we see older people, they just have less muscle mass. And it's okay right. you don't have the muscle mass of a bodybuilding 25-year-old, but you see a linear decline in spermidine levels and a linear decline in muscle as you age. What does it do for maintaining muscle mass? We're kind of back in the same place. So, so number, so for bone and muscle, one of the big things is increasing stem cell production. So, increasing stem cell okay. production in the muscle, also for bone, which is why it's so helpful for osteoporosis. So, you know, those are both, you know, loss of stem cells in the muscle, loss of stem cells in bone is one of the things that's now is now ca- causing that demise as we age. And so, that's probably its big effect is 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 on stem cell production. But again, if I'm going to increase improvement in mitochondria. Again, muscles, lots mm-hmm. of mitochondria and muscle cells, like right? That. And improving the volume of mitochondria is going to make the muscles more functional. So it will both increase muscle stem cells so I can build muscle more easily. But number two, increase the function of that muscle so I have, I have better muscle contraction. You know, muscles, your aging currency. You, 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 know, you, you need muscle to survive. I mean, I, I'm really, I do a lot of weightlifting and I'm really you know, adamant to my patients that you can't just be doing cardio. We have all these people who are just doing cardio, 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 that you've got Doesn't to work. be lifting weights. You've got to be going strong. This is going to allow you now, because if I don't have you know, good stem cell production anymore, you know, I'm 70 years old and I'm really taking care of myself. And now I'm telling this 70 year old to go lift weights. They're going to have a really hard time. So if I can increase stem cells first, by using spermidine, um, you know, for a good 12-week course, again, maybe at a little bit higher level in that elderly patient, it's going to encourage them to be able to go lift a little bit more, go do a little bit more. And now as they're continuing to use it, those muscles are going to be functioning better as well. So they'll be able to run faster, lift harder, not get so sore afterwards. So I think that it's, there's, you know, a huge benefit there. Um, I've been using it along with, interestingly, oxytocin for muscle building, right? So um, you know, oxytocin. You got some is, nice shoulders. I, I, I was thinking that you're. I, I mean, I, I can see that you're doing something, right? Yeah. Okay, so, so you know, oxytocin, nasal, oxy- or how are you getting oxytocin? You can you can do nasal spray or subcutaneous injections of it. So we'll do that with a lot of our our clients or bodybuilder people because it's a huge anabolic agent, and you know we forget about oxytocin as an anabolic agent. So you can use spermidine and oxytocin and get really nice. So you you know. So you'll, you basically use the spermidine for on a regular basis, usually a hard course of it. And then on a regular basis, and then you use oxytocin, like right after the workouts to get muscle pump and you'll see really good okay. muscle production. I talked to a bodybuilder once who swore by, this is going to sound funny, um, like nipple stimulation after a workout to raise oxytocin right. levels. Right. Have you heard Works of this the same before? way, right? And yeah, you know, and, and it's doing the same thing. You know, so okay. it, it probably can get more oxytocin by actually taking oxytocin, but Injecting. Yeah. but 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 the same it's the same principle. It's just like you know that's why bodybuilders who work out together seem to get better results than working out independently. It's that socialization that increases oxytocin mm. as well. And now what we're all sitting in our houses by ourselves, not seeing people and not socializing and not touching each other, so our oxytocin levels are probably really low. So I think those, yeah. the oxytocin along with the spermidine is a really nice combination wow. for people who want to be, you know, get, get more muscle. And especially to get older people started or even young people who have gotten really sarcopenic from being sick or just being unhealthy. It's a really nice thing to get them a little boost. Wow. This is really cool. I had never even thought of oxytocin with it. And uh, I guess it means I'm going to have to play with my nipples. I guess <laughs> <laughs> or you could just hug someone. And since I am in a relationship, you could just cuddle on you the couch and get more, some yeah, effect. Right. So that, that's, that's more likely what I'm going to do. But uh, what about when people shouldn't take it? Like, are there downsides to it? So I guess the, the big question there is cancer. Um, and, and we just don't know yet. It appears to have a very cancer protective effect. It should, given what so it does. It should, right. And there's a recent study in colorectal cancer that showed it to be very beneficial in helping those markers to reduce. But if you think about now, if I'm, if I'm stimulating oxidative phosphorylation, if I'm getting more ATP, cancer cells love energy, right? So am I stimulating some fast-growing cancer cells? And I think the same question comes around with like IGF, uh, the growth hormone secretagogues. It depends on sort of what school you're in. And, and so the, the I guess the, you know, the, the legal answer to that question is probably if you have active cancer, don't use it. 
Um, but there's probably going to be yeah. further evidence coming out to, to, to say maybe some cancers it's good for, maybe some cancers it's not good for. And I think we're, we've been in the same question with like the, you know, the, the IGF, the growth hormone secretagogues, things like that is, you know, are they good? Are they bad? It, it probably is going to depend a lot on what's going on inside the cell. That, that's a really nuanced and, and awesome answer. And thank you for that. It, anything that increases growth can increase cancer. And, and this is one of those things where you have to increase your mitochondrial function, which is anti-cancer, and you have to increase autophagy, which is anti-cancer, anytime exactly. you do something to increase the young stuff that you're doing. But it sounds like, given all of the effects on mitochondria, that spermidine is helping mitochondria. So my rough biohacker assessment, not being a cancer doctor or any kind of doctor, would be, hmm, it's probably okay. But like you said, we don't have studies on it yet other than one where it says it might be good for one kind of cancer. Right. And, okay. and I think it's going to be, here's what I think you're going to have to go back to is, you know, it, it's, it's why antioxidants are not necessarily good in cancer, right? You want some oxidative stress. So I, I actually think spermidine is going to come out to be very homeostatic. It's going to actually get things back to the way they're supposed to. It's why I'm not a big fan of pounding antioxidants all the time. I think that that is probably a bad yeah. thing. And, you know, and I think because this is so homeostatic, it probably is going to prove to be beneficial. But right now, the kind of rule of thumb is we don't know. One of the things that I wrote about in Fast This Way, again, you guys are seeing my subtle plug for this, <laughs> is that uh, taking antioxidants in the middle of a fast is probably not a great idea unless you're dealing with excessive inflammation because you right. want a little bit of stress on the cells, You want right? the reactive oxygen, right? You want that right. oxidative stress. That's what's kicking everything up. But spermidine's not an antioxidant, so you not, can take right. it during a fast, and it probably will improve a fast is what I'm, I'm guessing here. I'm, exactly. I'm certainly doing that during, I take it in the morning during an intermittent yeah. fast. Yeah, you know, I take it twice a day when I'm fasting and, you know, doing a longer fast. But again, remember that it's working, it's not, whereas antioxidants are working, once you've created these reactive oxygen species, you're taking the antioxidants to help eliminate them, right? Spermidine's not doing that. So we want these reactive oxygen species. That's what actually codes mitochondrial peptides. Mitochondrial peptides like um, SS31 and MOTSC, those are mitochondrial peptides are what actually help us to heal and recover. So if you don't have any oxidative stress, you're not going to get the recovery and the autophagy. And so it's working back on the layer before the antioxidants. And that's why it's going to be so beneficial. You're not blocking that oxidative stress. You're giving a nice homeostatic approach to it. So that's why I think it's going to pan out to be a much better option across the board for everything over, over antioxidants. Because theoretically, my body, I should not have so much reactive oxygen species that I can't handle it if I'm, if I'm in perfect health, Right. I need antioxidants because I'm not in perfect health. I'm making too many reactive oxygen species. So can we go back a layer, stop making too many reactive oxygen species, make just enough that I keep the cell perfectly happy, get rid of the bad, you know, be able to recycle the bad mitochondria, you know, have normal autophagy. That's going to be the key. Uh, so, so well said, and thank you. And, and Betsy, thanks for sharing your, your clinical experience with spermidine on Bulletproof Radio. I am... Super excited. It's only been in the country for a little while. Uh, the, the site is spermidinelife.us slash Dave and use code Dave25, save 25%. Is there anything you'd like to say to uh, to listeners that we haven't talked about about spermidine? No, if you guys, um, I think we've we've posted some more information on, on uh, borderlongevity.com. We have a human optimization academy there where you can go learn. I want you guys, you know, again, you're, you're, I'm speech, pre preaching to the choir because your listeners are all gigged out on this stuff, but this is where we have to start. The, you know, it's, it, it's a little bit, the drug companies have learned, you've got to talk to the consumer, not the doctors. And so, you know, what we're learning, you know, people like you, you've got to spread this information to the consumer, to you guys, you've got to take control of your health because you can't rely on your doctor to do it. They don't understand this stuff. They don't remember it. You've got, you've got to learn it and you've got to understand it. And then you've got to take control. So if you follow us, um, you can follow me on you know, Instagram at Dr. Yurth at Boulder Longevity. And then go to our human optimization site, which is on BoulderLongevity.com. And we have some videos up there that will help you understand some of this metabolic health. I gave a great talk on cancer that's up there um, and mitochondrial health and cancer that's really interesting because it all comes down to exactly the same source. It really does. And, and Beautiful. I'm, and I'm going to join your January 21st group fast. Oh, awesome. Uh, thank you. Uh, and thanks for mentioning that. So guys, if you go to fastthisway.com, just order the book now, send me your receipt on fastthisway.com. 
And we're doing a two-week fast training or a fasting challenge where we take you through all the different types of fasts, including what's called a spiritual fast. Uh, so I appreciate that you're going to be there uh, along with everyone else. And I'm going to suggest that people who are doing the fast, you might want to do it with Spermdine. I will be. Have yep. a beautiful day. Thank you. You too. Stay well. Bye. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.